This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon on this Tuesday, September the 12th, 2023. Welcome into the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. I am Craig Smoke, Sikkim365 writer, radio host, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting Sikkim365.com. Also joined behind the scenes by Garrett Ross, producing uh, as he does each week, and we do Always appreciate his help as well, and we appreciate uh, you for being along for the ride as we join you following yet another loss for Baylor football, this time to the Utah Utes, their future Big 12 conference mate. And uh, at the time of the game, the number 12 team in the country looked for a moment like Baylor was going to get a big top 15 win and instead a 20-13 to loss. But now uh, licking their wounds and having their media sessions today and yesterday, uh, here soon enough, they will move on fully to Long Island and what will be, I'm speaking it into existence and for everyone else's sake, what will be their first win in quite some time this Saturday at McLean Stadium. But before we dive into the Utah game and, and a little bit to the Long Island uh, Sharks as well, Grayson, how are we doing this week, man? I mean, it's an okay week, I guess. I, I mean, it's never great the fact that we're talking about a loss. I mean, it's always a little bit more difficult, right, to to continue to talk about these losses and continue to talk about, and, and not just talk about, but hear, you know, reasons why it happened or reasons why this and that happened. So, you know, hopefully, you know, going forward, Baylor's able to regroup from this and potentially able to obviously get a win this weekend, which is needed, but also just kind of get ready for Big 12 play, which I think for this team, it's more about becoming a better football team as opposed to just winning this game, even though obviously <laughs> you can't lose this one. Yeah, no, it's been a grind, man. I mean, uh, the fan base over the last week, it's been very clear uh, what a grind it's been. And it's been like this existential thing. It's not even just about football now. It's become like this whole grander, big picture uh, discussion, which, you know, I think is good and and needed probably in some ways uh if you haven't already check out colt barber's article on sikkim365.com kind of just discussing where the program is right now and really not even about the program as much as it is like the university and the athletics department and its relationship with the fans and i think he was pretty spot on in his assessment that um you know look if they were still winning we wouldn't be talking about this but as he points out there were a couple of seasons and some wins along the way ever since you know all hell broke loose, for lack of a better term, um, a few years ago with the, the football program. That those wins, whether it be Matt Rule running, you know, this team to a Big Twelve title appearance and a Sugar Bowl appearance, or then Dave Aranda actually doing that, but winning both of those games, um, that it's kind of, you know, patched up wounds but never fully healed them, and now everything's just sort of stacked up and reached this boiling point now because of the losing and just the current kind of feel in the room of it's at a breaking point or it's it's heading down a, a bad road if everybody doesn't kind of get their P's and Q's uh, together. And it's very worth the read, I think, if you're a Baylor fan um, to kind of, you know, just see where um, I think a lot of people's minds are right now. I thought it was very well-timed and very well done, and uh, I definitely encourage you to go check that out over on Sikkim365.com because I think he hit the nail on the head and said something that a lot of people have probably been thinking whether they knew it or not. 
and uh, and hit home with a lot of folks. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think a big thing that you know was in that piece that's really I think important to mention is just how you know since the Art Browse you know situation scandal happened, um, nothing has ever really been good enough for the fan base, and I think that that's kind of a, a very valid point. Just the simple fact that like. Rule wins all these games, but still was never fully accepted the by a large is part boring. of the, right. the recruiting's like, not as good. Who the, cares yeah. if the defense is good? The offense isn't great. Right. Who cares that they made a Big Twelve championship because they didn't win it or or whatnot? And then Aranda comes in and has the COVID year, which was insurmountable odds, and everyone's freaking out. He wins the Big Twelve championship, and there's still people upset about the offense again being boring. The defense, you know, okay, it's good, but where's the fireworks on offense? And so now that this has come around. It's just another point where people can point to and say, hey, you know, see, I told you they're they're not good or this isn't working or this isn't going to happen. It just seems like this reoccurring theme from a lot, not all of the Baylor fan base, definitely not, but a portion of the fan base that just simply cannot move on from what happened, cannot move on to the fact that Baylor does have to have new coaches. It's just the the simple fact of the matter. Um, And it just, there's never been a full buy-in. And because of that, it leads to these situations where you lose a couple games and it's like time to fire a guy, time to move on to the next guy that we're not going to fully accept instead of getting to a point where you're healing as a fan base. And then obviously there's a lot of tension with the athletic department right now as well as we've we've heard many, many questions over the last couple of weeks about that. Yeah, there's a lot of like half in, half out yeah. or when it's convenient or, you know, when it's, it fits you and it's your way. And, and there's some of that. And there's also some of, I think, there is the administration being a bit bullheaded and tanking things for no reason because it's too reminiscent of this or that. And I do think you basically stripped all of your cool parts off to appease like Orange Bloods writers, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, everybody at some point has to move on. And I think that Colt's article hopefully rallies all sides to understand, like, their roles in all of this, and everybody can kind of look in the mirror and go, oh, wow, I'm being kind of stupid. And, um, oh, yeah, I'm being kind of uh, bullheaded and not listening to the fan base. And, oh, yeah, I'm being, you know, and I think everybody needs a little bit of a reality check because, yeah, it just does feel like there's been sort of patchwork that's just, you know, if they're not winning, then it just exposes all of it. And that's what's happened right now is they've lost six games in a row. And I've seen a lot of like, well, they haven't lost six in a row. And you're right. It's this team has only lost two in a row. But it's still been six straight games with no wins. So it's still six straight losses. So if you're just a fan in general, you're not like getting ticky-tack of, well, technically, Sawyer Robertson's only – yeah, but you haven't seen them win a game the last six games you've watched. So – it is a streak now that new team or not, it's carrying over, and people just need to see a dadgum win at some point, and that will be this weekend. But even that, won't, it, well, it's long. Like, you can already hear the, well, that's not. And I, I simply believe they just need to win a game. Mm-hmm. I don't care how, who, wherever. Just win a freaking football game, and that will be just a nice change of pace for the first time in a long time. And you thought that would be the case against Utah on Saturday, Grayson, but that was not the case. Let's dive into Utah. And I know the conversations about what we just discussed will continue on, and I think that's good. I think it's healthy, and I think it's needed. So if you haven't already, go check out Colt's article and the hundreds of comments as well that you know kind of further dive into uh, everybody's opinions on that subject and, and sort of where Baylor finds itself. But I hope everybody, administration, fans, um, media, whoever needs to hear it, um, you know, gets to to hear the message, hopefully, that he was trying to get across and others as well. But uh, now at 0-2, 
the Utah game, much like the Texas State game, very well could have been a win, and more so than the Texas State game should have been a win. Uh, instead, we are here talking about another defeat. So we'll start off with this. We'll then get into a little bit of Long Island and then into your mailbag to close it out this week. Um, but here's how things started off with Utah and Baylor just kind of rolling through and stop me. I'm going to stop, you know, in certain parts, but just, uh, you know, in general, stop me where you need to. This is a game that started off with just some punts, uh, punt action on both sides. Uh, Utah punts off their opening drive. Baylor punts their opening drive. Utah gets the ball back. They go three and out. Baylor gets the ball. Uh, nine plays and unable to do anything with it before they have to punt. So we're minutes into this game, and I'm thinking, like, you know, obviously overestimated Utah or underestimated Baylor's defense because I immediately saw, like, okay, well, this is not going to be as high scoring as I thought because it's like punt, 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 punt uh, before we finally saw some scores. Um, and that was set up by the fact that uh, Utah on their third drive of the game uh, getting five plays into it, Bryson Barnes intercepted by Kyler Jordan, uh, one of the many young players, young defenders especially, that we'd hear uh, called throughout this game. But Kyler Jordan picks off a Bryson Barnes pass, and Baylor found itself in business, uh, had a short drive that, uh, again, like is commonplace this uh, season, should have been more, Grayson. Uh, they get the big pick from Kyler Jordan, able to get um, – down into Utah territory with that interception, uh, but had first and 10, um, and the penalties start to hit. Uh, get a face mask penalty, 15 yards on Kelsey Johnson. So first and 10 at the Utah 13 is now first and 20 at the Utah 28. And that's not all. Pass complete to how Presley gets some of the yardage back. Penalty, Baylor, false start, coming out of a timeout, no less. Their second penalty on this drive. It's now uh, second and 11. False start. Uh, no, excuse me. Face mask. And they had the false start by Caden Siraki. A play later, it's now third and 16. You've already hurt yourself with penalties. And another false start. This time, Alvin Ebicelli. So now it's third and 21. Uh, Sawyer Robertson completes a you know a 12-yard pass to Hal Presley. But at third and 21, doesn't do much for you. You have to settle for the field goal. And so what was first and 10 at the Utah 13 at one point, you now back yourself up with three penalties and you settle for a 34-yard field goal. It is 3-0 Baylor, five drives into the game or six drives into the game. Right, and I mean, this just felt like one of those drives where Baylor needed to score a touchdown. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, it really felt like you had a chance to just completely turn the tide of this game. I mean, it had been just kind of a rock fight through the first quarter. Just the defense is playing well. I, I wouldn't even say terrible execution by the offense. Is there there wasn't a lot there. The pass rushes, the defensive lines were really dominating early on uh, in that first quarter. So it felt like, okay, you get this interception, finally a turnover in this game. Now you have an opportunity to go score points. And I mean, it's once again, Baylor just getting in its own way. And we're going to say that a lot during a lot. this game because they got in their way a ton. And, you know, you had the chance with Hal Presley in the end zone there. Sawyer just missed him a little bit in the corner of the end zone. But really, it shouldn't have come down to that. You should have had the ball, what, second, 
uh, second down and five at the eight-yard line is where they should have been. Instead, they had the face mask penalty. Then you had the false starts. It just This felt like a drive where you needed a touchdown. They didn't quite get it, but at least they came away with three points, I suppose. Yeah, you got down to the 13 and had first and 10 and then three penalties in the following plays, and uh, you're just not able to overcome that, so you do end up settling uh, despite at one point having a fresh set of downs and being right there, you know, knocking on the 10-yard line uh, to then being backed up and having to kick a field goal. And I will say, like, there was uh, early on a a good atmosphere. It was so hot. It was so dadgum hot on Saturday. Um, But nice crowd, given the circumstances. There was a lot of people snipping about the crowd. It's like, man, do you realize, like, how many people are under the awning? And and I get that, like – you know, it's not what you want for a top 12 team exactly. Like, you want loud and everybody in their seat. Don't get me wrong, but I don't really don't like it when I see somebody who's, like, in Chicago, you know, tw- tweeting about, oh, well, what's up with Baylor fans? It's like, dude, you're not here. You don't understand. There's, like, 5,000 people that are under the awning right now. Right, and even the Utah fans, because it was an 11 a.m. game, yeah. their whole fan base was stacking into, like, four rows yeah. at the top because there was still shade there. And it, it's just like, guys, come on. Like, so many people were in the concourse because yeah. it was so hot. But I understand how that looked on TV. I understand yeah. how it came across. But I, I don't appreciate people who are halfway across the country just sniping on Twitter because that's what – sniveling people do on twitter but yeah. uh or x excuse me but i saw a lot of that and just being there in person it's like yeah you're clearly not here mm-hmm. um but shout out to utah fans though they traveled in droves they were very well represented um and uh, hopefully they enjoyed themselves but they got a good program and we'll be seeing more of them down the road so it's three nothing baylor after a drive that you know had much more potential and utah gets the ball back they go seven plays and 62 yards got down into the red zone, but Baylor's defense, this is another thing. I felt there was energy. There was mm-hmm. energy, especially on defense, but just in general, you know, offense hadn't gotten anything done, but you at least felt like with Sawyer that they were, there was a confidence there. You felt that, you know, there was going to be some good things. And they uh, ran the, they were running, yeah. actually running the ball. As some. the game yeah. played out, you could feel like they were setting up for some good things down the line. It was, it was, you know, not points galore, but the offense, like, okay, you see a little something, but defensively definitely saw some pep in their step, definitely felt a different energy than the week prior, so that was encouraging. But uh, defense able to prevent any further damage uh, from Utah despite them you know, getting all the way down to the 10-yard line, um, able to bow up and force the field goal, and Cole Becker good from 31 yards out. So Utah threatens, but uh, instead it's just a 3-3 ball game. Yeah, and that felt like it made up for what happened to Baylor on the last drive. They did give up a 44-yard run to Jaquindon Jackson. Who had a great who, game. Yeah, I mean, he was the best offense player on the field for either team, and he's obviously from Duncanville, transferred from Texas, converted from quarterback to running back and very good player and he had a 44 yard run but again Baylor able to step up to the plate get a stop um you know you you wish that those 44 yard runs didn't happen especially when three guys had a chance to tackle him but at the end of the day you're able to get off the field which is the most important part yeah they had another big play 20 yard plus yarder right after that but again Baylor's defense able to just clamp down there towards the end so it's 3-3 and then Baylor uh on one of the what (laughs) the only touchdown drive of the day, and that's part of where the, the angst comes in. Utah's defense is good, but only one touchdown drive on the entire day for the Bears. 11 plays, 79 yards, and this is capped off by 
Uh, a couple of Sawyer Robertson runs down near the goal line. The second one after um, some Dominic Richardson on this drive as well, uh, able to uh, take it in on his own. A four-yard touchdown run by Sawyer Robertson on second and goal, and it's 10-3 Baylor, and you're feeling like, okay, like there's a little something going on here early on, and, uh, you know, long way to go, but uh, not a bad start, and you're you're definitely in better shape than people who thought that this was going to be like a massacre based on what happened with Texas State, you know. Yeah. Uh, so 10-3 after the Sawyer Robertson keeper. Right, and a key play here was the Keytron Jackson 30-yard reception. Um, if you look back to the opening drive for Baylor, he actually had Keytron wide open over the top of the defense, and I don't, you know, we can go back and look at it. I know Keytron looked like he slowed down. I thought he maybe got hit by the safety, so it kind of impeded him from running under that football or Sawyer overthrew him a little bit. But in general, Baylor's best drives on the night were when they were able to at least hit one of those deep shots, and it did not happen often enough. Some inaccuracy there uh, in Sawyer's first start at Baylor. But in general, you get one on this drive. And then outside of that, it was a lot of running, a lot of running the football, hard nose. You saw the offensive line churning. It it was a very impressive drive, and we got to see, like you said, Sawyer's mobility uh, paying dividends. So, uh, defense back on the uh, defense as Utah gets the ball back, and they are forced to punt uh, just four plays uh, before they are pushed off of the field. Baylor gets the ball back with just a you know, a few minutes, uh, or what was it, um, where were they at? Uh, like under two minutes uh, by the time they got the ball back. A actually, like, 22. Yeah. Yeah, like pretty, pretty. Uh, I guess a little over a minute left mm-hmm. to go before they got the ball back and actually able to go and get it into field goal position. Big opportunity there, unfortunately, um, despite being able to maneuver your way in there with some Sawyer Robertson pass completions, a little bit more of Dominic Richardson. Isaiah Hankins cannot hit from 44 yards out. And so uh, missed opportunity there to make it a two-score game. Utah gets the ball back and uh, able to run a handful of plays but not do much with it. Uh, weren't even able to get to midfield. And that was the first half right there in a nutshell. So it was 10-3. to Could have been 13-3. to Could have been, you know, something else as well. But, um, yeah, missed field goal. Second week in a row where they had an opportunity to kick a field goal before halftime and weren't able to, uh, to knock it through. So 10-3, how are you feeling at halftime at this point? I felt like Baylor should have been up by more. Um, those last two drives for Baylor, and then obviously the opening, you know, that interception to begin the second quarter, it really felt like Baylor, especially in the, it felt like the first quarter was relatively even. But the second quarter, it felt like Baylor was about 10, maybe 14 points better than Utah in that quarter. And then you come away and you're only up by seven at halftime. And once again, missed opportunities. You make that field goal, you're up by 10 at halftime. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but in a game that's been you know pretty much dominated by the defenses, that's a lot of points. And that's a position to put yourself in where you force Utah to have to be a little more aggressive with their play calling and have to throw the ball a little bit. Uh, unfortunate, but still, you know, Baylor's up at halftime. They, they've been in control of the game. And you feel pretty pretty good about what you saw from them offensively, particularly on the last two drives where Sora Robertson's able to make a couple throws to Keetron Jackson, able to move the the offense some, and you think, okay, in the second half, if they continue to do this, they're going to have a lot of success. So uh, not only are they up, but they get the ball to start the second half, go on a nice long drive and able to go and get it down in Utah territory pretty quickly. Uh, some Richard Reese, some Dominic Richardson, a nice long pass to Drake Dabney for 35 yards uh, to get all the way into the red zone. We saw Dawson Pendergrass on this drive on a short carry. Um, and then 
Uh, just unable to do much of anything with it as Utah bows up again. First and goal at the nine, turns into second and goal at the seven, turns into third and goal at the seven, turns into fourth and goal at the seven, and then Isaiah Hankins back out there once again. This time his field goal is good from 24 yards out, and it is 13 to 13-3, but you can see where this could have been like 17-3. to 3. You can see where this could have been 20-3, to 20 to yeah. 3, and instead it is 13-3 after the opening drive. So a couple big things on this drive. Dominic Richardson got a knee bruise, um, I believe, early on this drive. So you don't have him when you're on first single at the Utah 9. That was pretty significant in my eyes because Dom was running the football very, very well. Uh, the other part of this drive that is very key was Sora Robertson uh, got his ankle turned on. On, on a personal foul call on this drive, yes. which eliminated his legs and ability to run. He became basically a statue in the pocket, and that also impacted their ability in the red zone. So this drive really, like, you can look at this drive and basically say this actually ended up losing Baylor the football game, even though they came away with three points. Yes, uh, he hit the big pass to Dabney, then Tossin Pendergrass ran for two, and I believe it was that second and eight Yes, uh, yeah. where he had the keeper. He gets pulled down from behind, just gets wrenched a little bit and then it was very clear and it was pointed out by um you know Travis Roder on a website and various other conversations I saw somebody mention it in live action during the game just some random person um, and Aranda mentioned it after as well yeah, yeah and Aranda mentioned it after yeah that's when everybody like mm-hmm. realized but the discussion afterwards like you see the plays that people went and found of like you know here's where it happened and it did happen when he was pulled down from behind so yeah uh that play without knowing it at the time, turned out to be one of the most crucial plays in this game because it eliminated Sawyer Robertson's ability to be a running threat. And he had been prior, and it was helping out this offense. And from here on out, the offense would basically bog down. And it, in real time, looked even worse because you didn't necessarily know that he was that banged up and that they didn't have that option at their disposal. Um, so in hindsight, being 2020, it's like, okay, now the play calling makes a bit more sense. It's not perfect sense, but it makes right. more sense than when you were watching it live and you're like, what are they doing? Like, yeah. they're just running into a wall over and over again. So it was nice. That's just goes to show you like live action and then sort of sometimes there's other things going on that you don't realize. And that was one of those situations here. So they are forced to settle for the field goal. But again, talk about opportunities to blow this game open. Following drive, Utah forced to punt uh, after just six plays. Um, so, again, uh, Baylor gets the ball back, and this is where it all started going downhill as uh, Sawyer Robertson now dinged up, uh, not really clear across the whole, you know, uh, you know, viewing audience that that's the case. Uh, but he is. They force the punt, and they come right back, and his very first play – uh, he throws an interception to Zamaya Vaughn, and just like that, you set Utah up in you know, your territory. You swung the momentum, and it's just like, uh-oh, here we go. And it's only 13-3 to because you've been unable to distance yourself with these previous opportunities. Utah takes the ball, seven plays, uh, to just get a little bit of yardage, quite frankly, as the Baylor defense tried to, to you know, bow up and make something happen. But eventually, Utah settling for the 46-yard field goal. So all of a sudden, it is 13-6. to Yeah, and I, I will say, I don't know if we got complete confirmation on this, but there was definitely, on that particular throw, we're going to talk about a different Sora Robertson interception, which was 100% his fault. But right. this one seemed like miscommunication. So I don't, I haven't gotten confirmation on whether that was supposed to be a post route by Josh Cameron or a go route 
but he threw it like a post route. Like he was going to break inside. He never broke inside, so the ball's thrown right to the Utah defender. But in general, like you can't make that throw on first and 10 at the Baylor 13, like on your own end of the field. When your defense is playing that well, like if it's not there, you got to wait for it to be there before you throw that ball. I, I just felt like that was a really, really tough one and one that really set them back because even if you run the ball two more times after incompleting this and then punt it, your defense is still playing really, really good football at that point. So uh, Utah, seven plays, nine yards. It's a field goal. Baylor gets the ball back, and this is just where everything starts sliding downhill. Uh, three and out. Uh, Dominic Richardson unable to really get anything going. Sawyer Robertson can't complete a pass to Hal Presley. And they have to kick it away. Defense, you know, I, there's a lot of different opinions on the defense of like they didn't really play as well as it appeared because the quarterback, Bryson Barnes, was very average to below average for Utah. You know, there's – and like look, as, as the game goes on from here, they can't get a stop in the fourth quarter on like some long, you know, long drives for Utah. But man, like they felt like they were playing well and they were playing well enough to win this game. And yeah, I don't give a damn about how good or bad Bryson Barnes was or whatever. They were playing well enough to win this game and the offense was now going to do nothing for them in a very hot, on a very hot day. And it's just the game's dragging on and you just need your offense to do something for you. And they could not do it. Um, so I, you know, I don't want to take away from the defense by saying, oh, well, it was just the Utah quarterback or, you know, against so-and-so, it's not going to be as good. They deserve some credit for the way that they played on Saturday, in my opinion. Yeah, so. they, they do. And don't forget that Jaquindon Jackson barely played in the first game against Florida. Florida didn't have to deal with him. He is one of the best running backs in the Pac-12, and he is going to run all over a lot of teams in that conference. And so, you know, comparing what happened against Florida, comparing the defensive efforts for Baylor versus Florida is a fool's errand when you're talking about potentially their best offense player outside of Cam Rising not really playing in that game. Baylor had to deal with him they're going to run the football all year when cam rising comes back and honestly when you're baylor and you're having to prepare for two very different quarterbacks it make th- makes things very very tough as we kind of saw late in the game so uh utah 12 plays 45 yards a lot of jaquindon jackson uh bryson barnes trying to mostly no avail to be able to throw it around and the defense bows its neck up and gets a stop on fourth down and 10 at the 35 yard line Big time stop as Bryson Barnes can't find Thomas Yasmin and uh, the Bears get the ball up 13 to 6, but again, can't get any help. The offense just three plays, five yards, Richard Reese, one yard, Richard Reese, four yards, Dominic Richardson, no yards, and they punt it away. And this is where you're like, are they raising a white flag? Like, this is where, and not knowing Richardson or Robertson's injury, you're like, what the hell was that? I mean,. Yeah. Um, after a big stop of your defense, you just run it three times and you punt right. it away. It's like, what is going on here? And for me, the last series where they threw the interception should have been where they ran the ball three straight times. This is the series where you get the ball at the Baylor 35. So if you throw a pick, it's probably going to be at like the 50-yard line or on uh, the other side of the field. This is where I feel like they could have been more aggressive. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, you know your defense is starting to get tired. They've been on the field a lot. You need to get a first down here. Like, you need to run some time off the clock. Unable to. They don't even try to throw the football. They run it with Dom Richardson and Richard Reese three straight times and to no avail. And now Utah gets the ball back, and it's just like, okay, there's 10 minutes left. Can Baylor's defense get one more stop, and will that even be enough? No, uh, because Utah takes the ball and goes 15 plays, (laughs) 
88 yards. Now, yeah, the defense couldn't get off the field here, uh, granted. But at this point, like, they've done everything to this point to just keep you in this game. So I don't want to hear it, but it's Bryson Barnes. and blah, blah, blah. Shut yeah. up. It was, yeah. a, it was a good enough effort to win this football game at this point. Yes, you learn after the fact Robertson's hurt. That makes sense. But at the time, it was very frustrating. But here, they can't get off the field. I mean, uh, multiple first down conversions, um, eight minutes off the clock. And eventually, um, after a few plays, you know, inside the 10, eventually Nate Johnson, who was a difference maker as he came in at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where was he? This entire, like, why was Bryson Barnes playing? To, to the, the credit of people who were like, well, it was Bryson Barnes. He's not very good. Very true. Where was Nate Johnson this entire time? He comes in, makes a huge difference. Uh, throwing it around, running it around. He runs it in from seven yards out, and it's all of a sudden a tie ball game, 13-13, to 13, and you just feel the dread. Although, hey, at least they're getting the ball back with some time left. Go down and win this game. We'll get there in just a second. But uh, this, this one hurt, and you started to wonder, like, oh, boy, where's this one headed after being in control for most of the game? Yeah, this simply just came down to Kyle Winningham and Andy Ludwig making a sensational roster move here because they could tell Baylor's defense was starting to get worn down. And they decided, we're going to run the football right at them. And if Baylor does, you know, load up the box, we'll just throw two wide open guys because they're not going to be able to cover everyone if they're loading the box. And, you know, Baylor did everything they could and tried to get them off the field. Could not do it. I felt like Nate Johnson's running ability really took over late in the game. Him and Jaquindon Jackson just really just running it right up the middle of the field. And eventually, again, Baylor just kind of broke defensively. And not a surprise. They were on the field a ton. So uh, drive to go and win the game, uh, retake the lead, and you get a false start, first and 10. More of those this week. And then uh, just not able to do anything with it. Uh, Dominic Richardson runs nowhere. Uh, Sawyer Robertson, incomplete pass. And then uh, just an awful, awful interception on third down and 16 that sets Utah up at the 29-freaking-yard line. Just cannot happen, cannot do that. And uh, now suddenly it's gone from a lead to a tie game to you giving them basically field goal range to win the game without them having to do much of anything Anything. to earn it. Um, And sure enough, after the interception, Utah takes it six plays and uh, six plays in, Baylor has to shove Jalen Glover into the end zone to try and save what little time was remaining on the clock as they played it perfectly to, to run down the clock and score with basically no time left. So he gets shoved into the end zone with 17 seconds left as Utah takes the lead. And, uh, man, just the, the feeling in that stadium at the time, it's 20-13, to 13 and Baylor would have one more opportunity, but just a bat, back-breaking interception uh, that just cannot happen. And... Uh, yeah, it was it was not good. I mean, that that was the ball game. When yeah, he threw sure. the interception, that, that was game over. I know, you know, we'll get into the last drive and whatnot. Well, let's get into it. Well, so hold, hold on. You can't make that throw. Like, that, that right. throw cannot be made. You punt that football, and you allow your defense to come on the field and potentially get a stop with a minute 35 left. I just I need to harp on that. You, you cannot make a throw like that in your own territory and give up a game late like that. So, yeah, tough one by Sawyer there. Yeah, I mean, third and long, trying to make something happen, but just – do anything but what you did, basically, because you just handed them the the win in so many ways. So Baylor got the ball back and, uh, I mean, got a little chunk for Hal Presley, but then the big conversion to Hal Presley, 47 yards, gives you an opportunity to run a play. They throw it up to Keetron Jackson, 
Shoulda, coulda, woulda been a pass interference. I know there's varying opinions on that. I mean, you can definitely see where there could have been a pass interference call. You can also see where some people are like, let him play, whatever. I, I, you know, shouldn't have been in that position is where I stand on it, quite frankly. Um, but no flag, game over, just like that. As deflating as it gets, Baylor 0-2. And what was a 10-3 halftime lead and a 13-3 uh, lead in the fourth quarter in the span of just... A few minutes there at the very end of the game, they give up back-to-back touchdown drives and lose 20-13. to So, uh, man, just a brutal, brutal loss. And uh, that's uh, where we are uh, as they now head into Long Island week and what will be their first win in quite some time and what will be, you know, a good opportunity for them to stretch their legs and do some things they haven't been able to get done through these first two aggravating losses. But... Uh, man, the sooner that game gets here, the better to wash some of the taste out of the, the mouth of everybody from this one. I know that beating Long Island 77 to nothing won't do that necessarily, but like I said, either off the air or right as the show, a win is a win at this point. They just need to win a freaking football game, Grayson, in my opinion. I don't care if it's against like the ladies of the poor. Just win a freaking football game and finish a game. Um, and they had an opportunity here for a really big one, but they just couldn't close it out. Yeah, they gave away this one. And I know going into the, the weekend – you know, I got a lot of criticism on the board because I was the only person who picked Baylor to win this game. I, and, and no one, I mean, a lot of people, I got criticism for it, and that's fine. I was the only person who thought they would win it. And I got to say, sitting back and watching that game, I still feel like the process was right. And the process was simply this. They were facing a very different scheme than they faced in week one. They were going to come out with more motivation. They were going to play a lot harder. But at the end of the day, this is just a team that continues to shoot itself in the foot. And that's what continued to happen on Saturday. Um, Unfortunate, they gave this one away. Simply put, they absolutely gave one away. And now they got to regroup because not only do they have Long Island, but they get a great opportunity for a night game for the fan base to rally together, for the athletic department to come out with an amazing product because they get a night game against Texas as well the week after. So a lot to learn from this game, but in general, they gave one away. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were insane to pick them to beat Utah. I'll be perfectly honest yeah. with you because we, this what we saw in week one would not lend you to, to think that that was reasonable, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they played much better. There's still a lot of areas to grow. Um, but you at least hit on their effort and that being a bounce back. And that was encouraging to see was the energy and just the, the improvement. Um, yeah. However slight it may be in some areas, there's obviously some things that still are like the false starts. You just cannot keep doing this. Uh, you can't have the, the turnovers, the red zone problems, the red zone yeah. issues, you know, Utah deserves some credit for that, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think that they were going to make this much of a game based on what we saw versus Texas state, but uh, they showed a little something in this one, but still not enough. And, uh, finding ways to lose rather than finding ways to win, I think, has been kind of their their spell that they can't break uh, here as of late. So that's how uh, it was twenty to thirteen, and Utah walked out of McLean Stadium with a, a win that uh, they sure as heck felt lucky to get, given all of the circumstances. And look at them; they're two and zero with wins over Florida and Baylor, despite playing with like their third and fourth string quarterbacks at time. And you got to just give Kyle Whittingham a ton of credit for the resiliency and just the, the the way that program is set up to be able to to handle that. Because as we see other programs can't you know can't get a win to save their lives, and they're sitting there beating Florida and Baylor, you know, Power Five teams with you know Bryson Barnes. Uh, so. Uh, you know, Nate Johnson's going to be their starter this week, I saw, which yeah. is like, duh. Mm-hmm. I mean, after that game. But there's Utah. Lee, lick your wounds. Dave Aranda's already addressed the media. The players will later on this afternoon. It's Long Island week. Um, you know, he had 
some things that I know people don't want to hear much about the process and whatever at this point. Uh, they just want to see the results. We'll see, you know, a winning result this weekend. Uh, but, you know, let's get into Long Island and, and what stands out about them. I mean, let's be realistic. This is not breaking down Texas here in a couple of weeks. Although, as you mentioned, 6.30 kickoff time, mm-hmm. national broadcast for Baylor in Texas as uh, they will close out the four-game homestand to start the year uh, at what should be one and two. And with Texas rolling in off the Alabama win, and then um, who do they play this weekend? Uh, Texas? Yeah. They got Wyoming. Oh, oh yeah, they, Wyoming Tech. who beat Texas yeah. Tech. So they'll, you know... They'll have an interesting little contest there, but should handle Wyoming and be rolling in at like top three in the country and, and three and oh. So that should be a massive game being at night. But first things first, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that next week. Long Island, what stands out to you about the Sharks? Yeah, they're really bad. Um, they played Ohio the first week of the year, and Ohio didn't have their starting quarterback, who is a very good player, by the way, uh, Nathan Rourke, and they didn't have him. And so now Ohio was playing with backup quarterbacks, couldn't throw the ball at all, and still Ohio beat them 27-10. to 10. Um, And by not throwing the ball at all, I mean they threw for 104 yards. Um, but on the flip side, they ran for 200 on Long Island. So something to learn from from that, I, I, again, I think that's a pretty good sign of how easily Baylor should be able to win this game. Uh, and then Long Island also lost 21-10 to 10 to Bryant. Uh, Garrett told me they're probably going to not have their starting quarterback who left with a shoulder injury as well, uh, Lucas Stanzani. Hey, uh, Lucas Stanzani. Lucas Stanzani, yeah. there he is. Yeah, he's not going to play this week, it doesn't seem like. And so he was their starter last year, had 13 touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, Wasn't hasn't been very good this year either. And so, again, they're not really going to threaten too much as far as a passing attack goes um, without him in there. So they're going to rely on their quarterbacks to run the football, which will likely be Chris Howell. I'm anticipating that he's going to get the start. He can run a little bit. 11 carries for 54 yards. So a little bit of a test there with a mobile quarterback. Um, but in general, I mean, this is this is not a very good football team. This is a team that doesn't have a lot of explosivity on offense. They're going to try to turn around, run the football on Baylor a lot. Uh, they average nearly five yards per carry. And then on the flip side, they're not going to be able to throw the ball very efficiently as they have not done all year long. I mean, 350 yards so far in two games is not setting the world on fire. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add with this team, honestly, um, because this is a game to me that you uh, got to fill in with the Louisiana Tech game that was originally mm-hmm. scheduled. So you weren't even supposed to play them, and then you had to go, you know, kind of late schedule this. Um, all due respect, but yeah, I mean, got beat by two scores by, or three scores by Ohio. Yeah, three scores by Ohio, two scores by Bryant. I mean, what are we talking about here? Um, yeah, yeah, Baylor should win this game. They should win it going away. They should win it, name a score. They should mm-hmm. win it, and just the goal should be to win it and be healthy at the end of it. I mean, I don't think there's anything too fancy-schmancy about this other than this is a self-improvement game as much as anything, and it's really your only opportunity to, to do that because from here on out we know that the grind begins with Texas and then at UCF and so on and so forth. So this is your breather. This is your get right and get as much done as you possibly can on a Saturday and have as much fun as you can before the grind hits and you get back to reality. I mean, that's that's how I'm looking at this game. Yeah, and a lot of self-improvement here, right? I mean, yeah. an opportunity for them to take a step forward defensively and offensively. I mean, Long Island's, again, they're going to try to run the football. If Baylor gets up on them, they'll throw it a lot. Uh, they had to throw a lot against Ohio, which led to them only running for 34 yards on the ground. I think that's kind of the recipe for success for Baylor. Get out to an early lead, force them to have to throw the football uh, that should benefit them. But 
outside of that, I mean, I, it really just comes down to can the secondary show consistent improvement this week? Um, because they're going to get challenged in a way that even Texas State couldn't even come close to challenging them when they face Texas here in a couple weeks. So they need to improve. The defense line needs to continue to build on what happened against Utah. And Matt Jones and Mike Smith need to play like they did against Utah as opposed to how they played against Texas State. And if those guys can get better, their defense should be really good. Offensively, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to take shots downfield. And also, they might have an opportunity to actually run some play action, which they haven't been able to do at all this year because of an inefficient running game and poor offensive line play. And sadly, that's been a staple of Jeff Grimes' system, and they haven't been able to run it at all. Hopefully, they're able to do that in this one as they're able to take advantage of a weak defensive front. And it did look like the offensive line improved last week. They had a much better showing. The defense, again, played with some attitude and played with more confidence and just played harder, it looked like at least. I mean, so there were things that got lost in the loss of just – you know, well, it wasn't this or it wasn't that. It's like, man, beggars can't be choosers at this point. You got to look for improvement where you can get it. And I felt like the offensive line was improved last week. I felt like the defense was improved in some areas last week. Um, but obviously, uh, still some areas to get much better, and especially as it pertains to Big 12 play. And look, uh, how, how good does Sawyer Robertson's ankle feel in this game? Um, I would imagine we're going to see some R.J. Martinez in this mm-hmm. game. So, um, yeah, just come out of this one healthy, but definitely should come out of it with a win. Uh, no no question about that. Yeah, and I do want to mention on the offensive line, the big change that was made was they brought in Alvin Ebosele, the redshirt freshman, to play left tackle. He's a, a very elite prospect, was one of my highest-graded prospects in the 2022 class. He really gives them a true anchor there for the future. Now, there are going to be some growing pains because he's a redshirt freshman, but he showed a lot in this game as far as his potential and ceiling. And then they moved Campbell Barrington from left tackle to right tackle. So that was the big change that was made uh, going into week two. I'm curious if they just stick with that or if they make even more changes going forward. But I feel pretty good about that group going forward. All right, let's get into some questions here. Uh, Scotty B., which part of the football game on Saturday do you anticipate getting better than the last two weeks? You know, I, I, I think it's going to be the passing game, and that's simply, and, and really the offense in general, just because the team they're playing is going to be a huge step down from the first two games that they've had. And so I'm anticipating a lot more excitement, a few more big plays in the pass game, a steady rushing approach, and just an offensive line that looks a lot better. Uh, and they need to, because you need to dominate up front against Long Island if you want any hope of doing anything against Texas. Uh, Scotty also says, I do want to pass along an interesting note. Uh, Baylor women's basketball host Utah in the preseason women's NIT in Waco on November 14th. Uh, Utah nearly beat LSU in the Sweet 16, and they're number five in the women's basketball poll. So nice. thanks for passing that along, Scotty. And, uh, yep, basketball season starting to, to percolate. Uh, they're, you know, getting close over there on the horizon. We'll be here before we know it. So, uh, yeah, uh, Nikki Collin and company with a, a nice opponent in the NIT. Bear sack penalties, poor tackling, or fundamentals. How surprised are you this team is poor in both categories in Aranda's fourth year at the helm? The penalties are definitely aggravating, but uh, glad you point out the missed tackles. There were a lot of those on Saturday, a lot of those, and uh, that is, yeah, that is beyond frustrating. It really is, and how many times are Baylor defense linemen going to just be unable to bring down quarterbacks? I mean, they're in the backfield constantly and just can't finish the play. That That is really frustrating. Um, it needs to get better, and honestly, once you start a season and 
you're struggling to tackle, it usually kind of carries on throughout the year. But, you know, hopefully they can change some things. The penalties, I think a lot of that has to do with youth and inexperience, especially on the offensive line. Yeah, it does. But, I mean, it, it's you need to get that out of your system. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been killer. It's he been absolutely it killer. To the cadence. He mentioned yeah. it in the press conference, changing that to maybe be a little more bland. Yeah, there were some things that, you know, whether it's the cadence uh, thing that's causing some of the false starts or it's having 10 men on the field on defense, yeah. um, you got to figure that out, pal. I mean, that's like that's like coaching malpractice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the case on a couple of plays on defense on the game-tying drive. Call which a timeout. We don't have yeah. time to get into all that, but um, that really just is – that's that's bad. Um, you cannot have those kind of mistakes happening. But, yeah, they got to clean up the false starts and surprise. But I do think that some of that is the youth. The poor tackling, though, I mean, that's 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 been very evident through a couple of games. And um, you definitely have to improve that. It's not going to get easier tackling the guys that are coming up, you know, here in the next few weeks. Uh, Bearsack also, Colt has a really good article at BU on a crossroads or at a crossroads. Where are you two on the disappointment meter with the athletic administration and the current coaching staff? Zero to ten meter. I, I think it's deeper than that, as we mentioned in Colt's article. It's not just specifically about those two things. But yep. I, I do have disappointment in the athletic department and I guess the current coaching staff just because of results. But, I mean, there's more to that article than just these two things. I would say, where am I at on 0 to 10? Uh, probably a, a 6 or 7 if you lump the two together. Yeah, I'm at a 6 or 7. I think that uh, the fans need to look in the mirror, too. Right. I mean, be honest with you, man. Like, you know, you can't cater to everybody's little whim to make them have to finally show up to a football mm-hmm. game and be supportive. And it's always an excuse. It's If it's not the offense, then it's the uniforms. If it's not the uniforms, it's the end game. If it's not the end game, then it's the weather. If it's not the weather, it's the opponent. If it's not yep. the op- I mean, it's constant, and it's like – it's like there's more work put into looking for excuses to not support than there is to just go and support. Am I crazy here? No, not at um, all. And so I think that it's a combination of things, Bear Sack, and it's not like you're wrong and you're more wrong. It's just I think everybody, hopefully, reading Colt's article, won't immediately go like, see, he's talking about Mac. Or right. Mac reads it and says, see, he's talking about the fans. It's like, no, it's the Spider-Man meme. Everybody's pointed at everybody, and it's everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a role in it. And so I think that that's the big message that I took from Colt. So like a seven on that. But, um, yeah, I think it's well worth a read for everybody. Panther City Bear, last week I asked if there was light at the end of the tunnel for the O-line and D-line. I was quickly proved wrong about the O-line, D-line, in the Utah game. Now I'm wondering which team is the actual Baylor team. Is it the team we saw versus Texas State? Team in the first three quarters versus Utah or the fourth quarter Baylor team versus Utah? I mentioned this going into the game. A lot of this had to do with scheme. And Utah wanted to turn around and just kind of run the football right up the middle and pound Baylor. And I actually think that's where Baylor is probably the strongest is when you're just kind of just going right head on with them. Whereas with Texas State, they spread you out, right? And, and they got it into playmakers' hands and made you make plays on the perimeter. So. That was a bad first opponent. It was. For, it would have been for a lot of people, but especially yeah. where this team was but like, at the time. Look at UTSA. They got film on Texas State, and then it was like, okay, well, all we got to do is get a pass rush and just tackle TJ Finley, and it's pretty much over. They dominated up front, yeah. and Baylor struggled with it. And so, yeah, I, I think it's somewhere probably a little bit more leaning to the team that played against Utah, but I still think there's a lot to build on and a lot to grow from, especially because you play in a conference that is going to spread you out a lot more than Utah did for the most part. Yeah, I think it's a a combination, a potpourri of of the team that we've seen in every instance that you mentioned, and I don't think it's very clear yet through these two games who they really are going to be. 
you know, even in a couple of weeks from now. Um, I think it's just a lot of youth, a lot of just, you know, figuring it out. And it's, you know, we're having to like see it in real time, which makes it a little bit more painful. But um, I think there, I think there is promise coming out of that last game. I, look, I don't think they're threatening for a Big Twelve title. I'm not going to get crazy. I don't think that they're beating Texas. You know, but I, I do think they're they're slowly getting better. It's just you can't be too slow with the getting better because all of a sudden the season's over and you're like one in ten. You right. know, and but there's optimism and it's like no, at that point everybody's going to be so checked out. So um, I, I think it's still a mix mash Panther uh, or excuse me, uh, Panther City Bear. Yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah, we'll see how it how it gets clarified here over the coming games. It is games. encouraging that they ran the ball against that Utah front. Yeah, the Utah, O-line definitely looked better. Yeah, yeah, and Utah's defense line, let's be clear, is going to be one of, if not the best defense line they play. So, I mean, that was encouraging. The defense line part, I think, is going to be a little bit more matchup dependent, probably. Thank you, Panther City. Combination, like I said. But uh, ask again in a couple weeks, and maybe we'll have a more defined answer for you. Or maybe it'll just be so so obvious of which team they really are. Sam19, what do you need to see from our team going forward, and what would be your point to where you think people need to be fired? Firing anybody midseason without a guaranteed home run hire lined up would be disastrous. If we lose to Long Island, then the conversation should be had. But fans calling for Aranda and Rose to be fired is a knee-jerk reaction to a disappointing start. Oh, let's be clear. If they lose to Long Island, they should be fired Yeah. Every, I mean, that's, that would be totally out, yeah. of, out of hand to, no. to do that. So, yes, yeah, that's, that's why I've been saying the last few days. It's like I'm not even entertaining the idea of that happening because if it does, then all bets are off. But, no, they're, they're going to beat Long Island. Right, and I think that's the only way you see a fire midseason. I think it'll happen after the season, if at all. But if they lose to Long Island, then, I, I mean, you can't defend that. There's no way to defend that at all. But it's not going to happen. They're going to beat Long Island on Saturday. If you lose to Long Island, then, I, then it's going to be 95% UT fans at the game the following week. And, yeah, the, the Baylor fans will be checked out, um, whether that's right or not. But, I mean, it would really have no excuses if you lost to Long Island to, to really blame anybody for not wanting to support at that stage. So, um, yeah, I think it would take something like that. Otherwise, you know, I don't know the, the realistic possibility of things to continue to slide of like what, how even realistic it would be for there to be realistic change of that nature. Um, I'm not all in on that uh, by any means, nor do I, I see that right now. I think there's far too many games and things to, to find out uh, and left to play out. But, yeah, losing Long Island, it would be all bets are, are off at that point. But until then, I think you're, just, you're going through the year, man, and – um, just taking it week by week. Uh, but, yeah, it's obviously been very tough, and uh, and there has been some knee-jerk for sure. Ginger Bear, what should we expect from Sawyer Robertson, R.J. Martinez, these next two games? What are each his pros and cons? How does the scheme change depending on which quarterback is in? So what should we expect? What are the pros and cons? And how does the scheme change depending on which quarterback is playing? So I, I'm not really anticipating seeing much R.J. outside of this game. Like, when they play Texas, if Shapin can't play, which we did get an update from Miranda that he is just going to be listed as questionable for the Texas game, which might be some gamesmanship because he originally said that he would be out till the UCF game, essentially, as the earliest point. So we'll see there, but I'm not anticipating RJ to play much beyond this week, and this week will probably be more garbage time than anything else. Uh, he's accurate. He's got a really good arm. He kind of plays a little bit more like Blake Shapin does. Uh, he'll he'll remind people a lot more of Shapin. Uh, when you see his delivery, his mechanics, he kind of looks like, you know, he throws the ball kind of like a baseball player does, but he's a very good player. He played at Northern Arizona, played a lot of football, so he's got experience there, which is really nice to see. Uh, he's not a great runner, a solid athlete, but not a great runner, not 
not as mobile as Sawyer is. Um, but yeah, like I said, the accuracy and things like that are pretty good. Uh, Sawyer, uh, very accurate, very big, very strong, uh, fast. You can use him in the run game significantly more. Um, his deep ball is not great. Uh, but I think that you saw some flashes and glimpses of it being more than adequate. Like he, he did have some nice balls against Utah. And so that's kind of his pros and cons. He's played, he's had experience playing against sec competition every day in practice. Cause he was at Mississippi state. Um, so there is experience there, but not to the same level as RJ who actually played collegiate football games for two years. Um, so I think you can kind of gather from that, the scheme changing as in they'll run the quarterback more if Sawyer is in there. And then with RJ, they'll probably rely on his, arm talent a little bit more kind of like they did with Shapin. yeah just hopefully Sawyer's ankle's healing up okay I mean uh, it did make a major difference uh, before and after the injury based on what what we saw you know from the remainder of that game but um, yeah just keep him healthy keep him upright uh, get some good things done get that lead big and then let RJ come in there and, and take it the rest of the way yeah that'd, that'd be the ideal game plan you're with me though right you're not if Sawyer's healthy you're not anticipating seeing RJ like them split right no absolutely yeah, not me neither. No, he's the quarterback he's the yeah. quarterback one and he will be until they build a lead and then they can raise the white or you know raise the flags and basically call it and let RJ finish that out that's that's what I'm, I'm envisioning but yeah it's Sawyer until they can separate and move on to RJ and let him coast the rest or not coast, but you know what I mean? Like take it the rest of the way. And they shouldn't need to run Sawyer in this game. They should be able to hand, turn around, hand the ball off. And honestly, I think that's what they're going to work on. Yeah. Can we turn around, hand the ball off? Can we actually run play action finally for the first time this year? All right, uh, Ginger Bear, excited to see all the new Sikkim 365 projects from the triple option to crystal ball college football to the neighborhood watch. Can you all bring an X's and O's focus segment to the Sikkim 365 lineup? I've been missing that from the big one two show last year and hope you all bring back something similar. Thanks again for all that you all do. It's been incredible to watch the brand go, and I can't wait to see what lies ahead Sikkim Bears. Well, thank you, Ginger Bear. Uh, very much do appreciate you. Yeah, and I have no idea if we're planning on doing something like that. Um, maybe at some point, but I know personally I don't. I don't know if y'all do. Who was doing it on channel. the big one, too? Who was doing the X's and O's I, stuff? From what I understand, it was when JD was here. Okay. And JD yeah, yeah. was still doing the X's and O's because last year was Royden doing it, and I don't think they did X's and O's. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and JD's over it on three. So, yeah, I mean, there might be, I mean, you never know. Like, it's, it's always something getting cooked up in the kitchen. And, you know, I certainly didn't anticipate we'd have all of these various shows at this point. So, um, yeah, just stay tuned. I mean, anything's possible as we continue to grow, but definitely appreciate your support and thanks for noticing. And, uh, thanks for checking out the full array of, of options out there. Don't know that we always do the best job of like cross-promoting and everything, but definitely if you get the opportunity to check out the various YouTube channels, definitely check, uh, if you can, uh, hit like and subscribe on this very yeah. Baylor Bears on Sikkim 365 YouTube channel. I don't do a lot of self-promotion, but... Uh, that would be much appreciated if you listen to us each week or you just check out the content uh, and, you know, boost the Baylor channel and get that get that number higher uh, to put it out there further into the world. Uh, but thank you, Ginger Bear. Overall, Minion, what are y'all's thoughts on Colt's article about the fan base? Thanks. I think we've touched on that, and I think it was well-timed. I think it was well-said, 
And I think he hit on a lot of interesting and and much needed talking points. And I think that everybody needs to listen. And we've already seen some evidence that some people are like, see, they're talking about the people that I'm talking about. It's like, no, he's also talking about you. And no, you're laughing. No, he's talking about you too. He's talking about everybody. He's talking about administration. He's talking about athletic department. He's talking about fans. He's talking about everybody. And and their role, and, and, and just the mixed mash of emotions that we're seeing right now. And I think it's a healthy conversation to have. It's long overdue. There's absolutely been this feeling of walking on pins and needles with this program for like the last seven years, and it needs to end. It needs to end where we can't have cool uniforms because it's too much like this, or we can't do this because it's too much like – at this point, let loose and have fun and quit feeling like you're, you're, you have to live like some – like death sentence because some bad things that you know what I mean though yeah. it's like how long is probation like how long are we gonna be in the doghouse before you just like have fun again and I do think that there is is something to that for the fans towards the administration side of things and and I do think the administration um you know has their own frustrations but I'm, again all the different areas you want to look I think he he touched on it all in a really nice and succinct manner so um, I enjoyed it overall, Minion, and, and think it's a must-read for everybody out there uh, who's a Baylor fan or attached to Baylor. Uh, Eniable, what has been going on with the D-line? So many fifth, sixth, seventh-year players not living up to their potential, although they got a lot more active last week. I mean, there was a lot of guys. Uh, T.J. Franklin had a sack, and, I mean, Gabe Hall had a Gabe sack. Hall had a sack, and I, some of the young guys got involved as well. But, uh, yeah, Eniable, you, uh, you, you, you don't – necessarily agree here i mean they definitely didn't play well against texas state yeah so, no I mean, if you want to look at that game i mean sure we talked about that one but against utah tj franklin and gabe hall were awesome like they they definitely i mean as the game wore on yeah they wore down but that was more a product of the offense just not being able to keep them off the field for any amount of time at all in the second half but i felt like they did a really good job and as far as other fifth sixth seventh year guys they don't really have any other guys like that outside of Gabe Paul and TJ Franklin and I guess Justin Sambu, but he's only been on campus for, what, three weeks now? Um, so I think he's still trying to get things figured out there as well. But as far as TJ Franklin and Gabe Paul go, this was a big step up for them. And they're going to have to continue to get better and better because games against Texas, against Texas Tech, against UCF, you know, a lot of teams, like, they're going to have to get pressure on the quarterback if Baylor's going to win those type of games. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that they need to continue to improve. Also, Garmin Randolph didn't play in the last game either, and he's a fifth-year guy who they're expecting big things from. And also, Byron Vaughn's played pretty well on, you know, on Saturday as well. Yeah, I think maybe Enable wanting to see a little more domination from guys who are, are that deep better trend wise but I, I thought that they played well so just stay tuned I mean we can revisit this um, but yeah you, you do want to see huge impacts from guys that have been around as long as, as a guy like TJ Franklin has but I, I, I do think that last week was actually a step forward uh, rather than you know sitting in place or, or taking a step back but yeah first week sure like yeah everything was um, but I, I do think there was some some steps forward so appreciate you uh, Burger 86 will close it out how would you grade our overall? Or how would you grade our player evaluation in year four with our roster? How is it possible? Okay, well, let's start there. And we we got crunch time here, so let's let's roll through this. Yeah, I mean, it has not been great. I think that there are some guys on the roster that maybe aren't ever you know going to play meaningful snaps for Baylor, and that's an issue when you have the transfer portal era. Like you have to be able to take advantage of the transfer portal and bring in a bunch of guys, and for them to have scholarships open, for them to have guys who maybe aren't going to play a big role on this team ever. 
it's just kind of hard to look at that and say that's okay, especially when you look at the product they put on the field against Texas State. So it hasn't been very good, but then on the flip side, you know you're seeing some freshmen step up. You're seeing some older guys finally turn the corner a little bit. Um, so maybe as the season progresses, I'll change my mind on that. But so far this early in the season, you know, it's probably like a C at this moment. The freshman class is looking like it could shape up to be something, oh, it's but it's like one. do they have time to get there is the big question yeah. mark. Uh, how is it possible to have 10 players on the field for back-to-back plays in such critical moments in the game? I touched on that earlier, the 10 men on the field, and Aranda said it was their, their calling, their p- calling plays in, is Pallage is relaying the calls to a GA who's relaying the signals to the team, and somewhere in that it got lost, and the fact that you're also yet a bunch of freshmen out there, so there's that extra layer of, you know, it's not like Taylor Young's out there who's played 100 games or something, or, you know, Clay Johnson, or it's like, or Jalen Petrie, it's it's instead it's the young guys and so you add that into it and I don't know where it all got scrambled and and whatever but it's inexcusable like it just simply cannot you can't not have 10 men on the field for a couple plays on a game tying drive you just simply cannot have that happen and I think I don't think Aranda really showed his teeth on that when talking about it but I would imagine behind the scenes that it was way different because like I said you just can't do that so uh, how's it possible it got lost in in the communication but uh I, I I feel confident that they've addressed that. Yeah, and, and, and that's not sh- going to happen again. And they should have called timeout. Yeah, they, they yeah. should have. They should have gotten that corrected on the field because you can't play with that disadvantage that late in the game. Yeah, but you're right, uh, Berger. It's it's a it's a bad mistake. And then why is it that Baylor has no identity on defense and offense in year four? That is the final question. And thank you, Berger, for your your submissions this week. I mean, I agree on the defense. I just, I don't agree offensively. I mean, I know they've struggled to block, but I I think it's pretty clear what Baylor wants to do on the offensive side, and that is they want to run the football. They want to be explosive in that. They want to be physical, grind you down, just like they did in 2021, just like they did in large part last year as well. And then they want to be able to take shots in the passing game through play action or uh, just simple dropbacks and They just haven't been able to do that because the offense line hasn't played to the level they need to. Again, I expect that to change this upcoming week. It's going to get tough against Texas, but then in the long term, I do think that you're going to continue to see the RVO wide wide zone scheme really, you know, flourish to some extent and get better than where it's at right now. Yeah, and if you look uh, through breakdowns and whatnot, I mean, there's definitely lots of things that look like just bad plays and it's like no that was a bad read or that was a this guy didn't do this and and they know every play is like that every play that doesn't work out and sometimes it is just the defense made a great play Um, but they're not far I feel like like they're very close to like if they can just cut out some of the mistakes it looks a lot different but they just have so many mistakes that pile up and kill them um, that it just derails everything but yeah I think on offense it's pretty clear what their identity is it's the RVO it's just that it hasn't been that reliable and it really hasn't been that violent and um, you know that's what they're working towards Uh, but that's part O-line that's part quarterback that's part whatever Um, but that is their identity but I agree with you you know that's kind of hit or miss sometimes it feels like but especially on defense they don't really have one and and that's 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 where the big problem is with the whole Dave Aranda conversation is that that should be the last thing that they have a hard time figuring out is the defense. That's why he's here is for the defense. And so that is a point of frustration and rightfully so. And uh, very valid uh, that, that you point that out. And I, I don't know uh, how to, how to answer it other than it's, it's puzzling uh, and frustrating for, I think all involved for sure. So thank you for the question. And, uh, do we have, do we don't go every game. Do you yeah, have we, a couple, um, we have I don't, time. do we really want to do like, I guess we'll be quick. 
Okay. Yeah, we have time. We have time this week. Let's so. close it out with some Big 12 picks. Uh, although, moving forward, depending on time, we might have to, like, cherry pick a handful yeah. of them. Um, but, you know, we are going to be in conference play after this, so that's at least good. But, uh, yeah, let's roll into some Big 12 picks to close it out here. Okay, so 11 a.m. SEC Network, uh, number 15, Kansas State, travels to Missouri. K-State is a five-point favorite. Who you got in that one? Give me K-State. I think they're the only team right now that's a threat. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Oklahoma in, in, in Dallas here in a couple of weeks. But K-State uh, looks like the only real threat to Texas potentially right now. If things just were status quo, I like where they're at. Um, yeah, they're they're in a good spot. And I think that they go get a win on the road against an SEC team. Yeah, I think they take care of Missouri rather easily. K-State's been impressive uh, early in the season with Will Howard. And just the offense in general looks really good, as does the defense. Okay, moving forward, 11 a.m. on ESPNU. Iowa State travels to Ohio. Uh, Iowa State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite after the loss to Iowa. Yeah, give me Iowa State here. Um, although I think it's a dangerous game for them, honestly. Um, but yeah, I I give them the benefit of the doubt here on the road and and think they take this one home. But I mean, you look at the schedule and Baylor between Houston and Iowa State and some like there's winnable games on this schedule. But they just got to stay the course and keep improving. I know that's also what some of these other teams are saying as well. But yeah, give me the Cyclones. Yeah, I got Iowa State as well, just because of their defense, their offense is just dreadful yeah. once again. Um, moving forward, two thirty p.m. on ESPN two, Oklahoma travels to Tulsa. Oklahoma's twenty seven and a half point favorite. Give me OU. Yeah. Yeah, OU big here. That should be an easy win for them. Their defense actually looked better this past week against SMU. Uh, next up, Villanova travels to UCF. They're both 2-0. UCF going to probably be playing without John Rice Plumley for the next couple weeks. I know probably. He's out. He's he's out. For, yeah, well, I know this week, but for how many weeks did they uh, say? Looks, it looks like it could be longer than a couple. Wow. Okay. Um, not all season, but it looks like it could be maybe like a few weeks. Like a month maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's killer for them. And, hey, that's Baylor goes there in mm-hmm. a couple weeks. So, um, yeah, pay attention to that. But give me UCF. They got very fortunate last week, a walk-off field goal against Boise State on the road. But you knew that was going to be a tough game going in. But, yeah, give me the Knights. Yeah, I got UCF as well, even though it might be a little interesting without John Rice Plumley. I'm curious how yeah. they handle that. If it was basketball. Yeah, for sure. Villanova, yeah. Next up, 6 p.m. on Big 12. Net, or Next ESPN few Plus. weeks was the official diagnosis for John Rice Plumley with That's the leg injury. It's going to be very close for the Baylor game. Then. Yep, so next we'll see. few weeks. Okay, so Miami of Ohio travels to Cincinnati. Cincinnati a 14-point favorite after beating Pitt at Pitt. Cincinnati kind of looks like a team that maybe I, I was a little wrong on to start the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, you lose Luke Fickle, and it's hard to really gauge how good they're going to be. But, uh, no, they've done a good job. That was a nice win. Nearly let it slip. Um, mm-hmm. Pitt almost came back and won that, or, you know, came back and, and made it interesting. But, yeah, Cincinnati got out front and controlled and then held on. And, uh, yeah, I, I think they are a little bit under the radar in the Big 12 scheme of things. But uh, um, I think that'll – stop being the case as they continue to pile up wins, and I think they get another one here against Miami of Ohio. Yeah, I think they win this week as well, but yeah, I'm curious if they're actually good. I'm not 100% sure on that, but they are playing better than I thought they Mm -hmm. would to start the year. Uh, Next up, Oklahoma State takes on South Alabama in Stillwater. Oklahoma State 2-0. They're a a 7.5-point favorite. They were using three quarterbacks still through two games. They used all three of them again last week. Got a nice win over Arizona State. It's weird. I was watching that game as Pac-12 after dark, which is about to be Big 12 after dark, and you see where, like, the Big 12 is going to have all day long games from, like, 11 a.m. to, like, 2 o'clock in the morning um, because that was on late. 
Uh, but, yeah, give me Oklahoma State without a doubt here. But they're, they're still figuring some things out. I'll take Oklahoma State, but it's going to be a close game again. Oklahoma State is just not running away from anyone right now offensively. So closer than expected game, I, I feel like, in that one. Uh, Texas Tech versus Tarleton State. Do the Red Raiders finally get a win? They get a win. I, I They got the big commit from Micah Hudson, which yeah. was huge for them. I do wonder, was he always planning on doing it right now? I feel like that was like, it's 0-2, and we got to get some good news here in Lubbock. Right. Like, can you please commit? But that was huge for them, and yeah, they'll get their first win against Tarleton. Yeah, we'll see if it sticks, but that's a huge pickup for them, and obviously their offense is intriguing. It continues to play well. I think they win against Tarleton State. Next up, 6.30 p.m. on ESPN2, BYU travels to Arkansas. Arkansas is an eight-point favorite, but both teams are undefeated right now. I haven't been overly impressed by BYU. Uh, I think they've handled their business just fine, but give me Arkansas in this game. Uh, I need to see more from Keaton Slovis to be convinced they're going to go on the road and, and go grab a win. Yeah, Arkansas hasn't been impressive either, though, but I still think Arkansas is more talented and just the better team, but maybe a little bit closer than that eight-point spread. I think BYU defensively will keep them around for a while. Uh, next up, 6.30 on ABC Pitt travels to West Virginia. West Virginia 1-1 one and one on the season. Pitt is a one-point favorite on the road. Yeah, uh, I, I'll go Pitt here. I mean, they appear to be the better team, but the, the line's interesting. The fact that it's in Morgantown is interesting. I just, I'm not sold on West Virginia still. Um, and uh, I do think this will be a close game as they're, they're very interesting start to the schedule. Uh, you know, recommences after the win over Duquesne. Um, so, yeah, give me, give me Pitt in this game, but it should be a tight one. I'm taking West Virginia. I don't think Pitt is good at all. Phil Dracovic is not a good quarterback. I think West Virginia gets some redemption from last year's game that they probably should have won. And this cools off Neil Brown's hot seat a little bit uh, in the early part of the year. Next up, 7 p.m. on Longhorn Network, Wyoming travels to Texas. Can Wyoming knock off another Big 12 team? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. Texas wins this one rather easily. Too many athletes on the field. Next up, 7 p.m. on Fox, TCU travels to Houston. Houston coming off the loss to Rice over the weekend. Who you got? Give me TCU. I think that they're the better team. I don't think Houston's very good uh, right now. I don't know how good TCU is either, but I do think they're better than Houston. This should be a big deal because it's the first Big 12 game, and coming off of the loss, you wonder is there – a lot of excitement or is there like some air let out of the tire I think there's probably a bit of both um, but yeah give me TCU yeah losing to Rice is a huge setback after beating UTSA week one I think TCU wins this game it's going to be a little interesting on the road but I think the Horn Frogs are the better football team uh, next up 9 30 p.m. on uh, CBS Sports Network Kansas travels to Nevada Kansas coming off the big win over Illinois who you got in that one Give me Kansas, uh, heavy favorites, and rightfully so. And there's a team that's kind of in the middle of the rankings right now that is you know, probably going to maneuver their way up here in the next few weeks or has a good opportunity to do so at least. And, yeah, I expect them to win this game and, and do so rather handily. Yeah, their schedule in Big 12 play gets really tough and then really easy at the end. So I'm curious how they handle that. But they'll beat Nevada rather easily this week. And then finally, we got on the Big 12 network or on ESPN Plus, I guess, 11 a.m., Long Island travels to Baylor um, in Waco. Who you got? Uh, Baylor, huge, and just stay healthy. That's the that's the whole thing. And then start to get ready for Texas. But I do think they finally get to celebrate a win, and I have no doubts about that. But if they don't, then all hell is, is going to break loose. Sorry for lack of a better term, but that's just that's what's going to happen. But I don't think I don't believe for one second that's what's going to happen. So yeah, they're going to win this game. Yeah, Baylor's going to win this game handedly, um, and they need to. They need to put up points on the board. They need to look dominant on defense, and they just need to get better as a football team heading into that matchup against Texas. 
Uh, but yeah, I expect Baylor to win this game by at least four scores, probably. So there you go. There's the Big 12 schedule. It's, man, it's longer with those 14 teams, yeah. um, but it'll, I guess, only remain that way and grow uh, moving mm-hmm. forward with four Pac-12 schools coming in next season. But thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for sending in questions when you do. Thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes and Garrett, uh, excuse me, uh, Grayson Grunhafer as well. So Jack McKenzie behind the scenes. Uh, the whole team, we appreciate uh, everybody out there and uh, hopefully, not hopefully, but we will be talking about a win next week and then starting Big 12 play to really uh, ramp up quite a bit. So, um, man, stay tuned. Until next time, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. It's been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.